cat dead details later here <laughs> on Major Please. Normally, at this point, we're a heinous trip at Warp 5. Uh, and my name is Joseph. And boy, how I've missed that sweet, sweet inner light intro. I'm your co-host, Peter. And Peter, uh, you and I have uh, embarked on an entirely, uh, shall we say, uh, unfamiliar shore uh, this week. Uh, because we are actually recording this for our patrons and doing a special episode of something entirely but not entirely random. And that is the 1985 uh, horror film Reanimator. We were supposed to do this thing seven months ago. Yeah, yeah. This was supposed to be a Halloween idea. We're in hock to the people paying for the show. We're sorry. It's April 2nd, 2023. We, we, <laughs> we, we put should... this one up, guys. We apologize. <laughs> uh worth the wait though yeah this was this was a, a very interesting thing to watch as both a uh the craft of filmmaking and what what passed for a movie it, it would what feels not that long ago but i guess is a long time ago and maybe like why it is we like why Trek actors are Trek actors. You you say not that long ago. I mean, this thing came out in 85. I was three years old when this came out. So, yeah, this is a long fucking time ago. Yeah, I guess I'm not conceiving of that as being like almost 40 years ago. You know, like my this... brain hasn't caught up to reality. So had you ever seen Reanimator? No, this is the first time I've watched the whole thing. I've seen Same like year. clips from it. Yeah. And I cannot tell you for the life of me how I have never watched this before, because back in high school, especially, I was super into horror. Uh, the the Living Deads, Hellraisers, Leprechauns. I mean, I was all over the place and I really, really like like zombie horror. And I mean, this thing's up my alley so hard. Um, and I'll talk about some tangential stuff that I've done along the lines of this, but same way, like never seeing Voyager uh, became this treasure trove to dig into in my, you know, middle age, finding this absolute gem of a throwback. <laughs> I am shocked that somehow this escaped your vision. If you were in that crowd, I, I, I think that's kind of where I had contact with it was, uh, you know, I worked at a movie theater when I was in high school, same as you. Uh, what was friends with people who watched a lot of movies. Uh, and I guess that's a, that's a bit of lore we've never mentioned is you and I both worked at movie theaters in our f formative era. And it probably is why we have such a, a, a desire to criticize media for entertainment. <laughs> Absolutely. When you're not paying for things and it's uh bountiful, then you get very critical and, and you're with other people who are doing the same thing. So you have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. But I mean, this thing touches so many bases and for me to not have seen it until now is amazing. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with this guy. <clears throat> and first of all, the fact that this is actual Lovecraft. Yeah. Right? Well, in the loosest sense, but yes, it's licensed. We'll say that. This is all based off of... Uh, Lovecraft, it was a novella called what Herbert West, the reanimator, I believe. Correct. 
Uh, and normally Lovecraft stuff is not what you would call comedy. But in the case of this film adaptation, this is classified as sci-fi horror comedy. And I think that's three genre. Well, I mean, it feels very correct. You know, like that. I like that description a lot. The dark comedy is there. And what's interesting is that the comedy was not there in the initial revisions. Uh, when these guys wrote it, and this was screenplay, it was uh, Dennis Polly, William J. Norris, and Stuart Gordon, and then Stuart Gordon directed it. Initially, this thing was made uh, in an answer to the uh, the 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 cornucopia of vampire movies, specifically the Hammer Dracula stuff that had come out, <laughs> and these guys were shooting the shit. And we're like, you know why isn't there anything for Frankenstein out there? And initially this was wrote as a screen, as a, uh, a stage play. And from a stage play, it morphed into, it was supposed to be a half hour TV series. And I forget who they said it was, but you know, one of these contacts they had was like, listen, the only place you're going to get any traction with horror is in feature films. Forget about TV. And they convinced these guys to go for the screenplay. And they took the season that they had made for the story, condensed it down into a serious horror movie. And as the script was revised further, the comedy elements started coming in. But horror and sci-fi are two great tastes that taste great together. And there's a lot of stuff in that pool that I think speaks to me personally. And it bleeds out when we have our discussions in Trek, right? There's dark, dark places I'd like to see Trek go sometimes with space horror and stuff like that. And obviously they don't go through it for it because it's network television. Yeah, you're trying to retain a mass audience. But you start talking about uh, dark comedy or comedy horror. And that's an interesting thing all in itself. But I think the, the base story here, the sci-fi element, works great and it's looking at the connection that Jeff Combs has to this it makes sense as he's transitioned and pivoted hard into the sci-fi world it's interesting you know when you were talking about the comedy elements entering into the movie i just had only considered the comedy as unintentional when i was watching it i did not think for for a moment to 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 step back and consider if the the overly hammy performances of the male and female lead were the point rather than something that happened on accident. I think that it makes so much more sense though, if you consider it in framing, making fun of hammer Dracula movies, you know, or just saying, you know, we we're putting a lot of big asks out there for the audience to, to go along with the story, especially in the time frame that it unfolds in. And you can ramrod things and try and play it straight. And I think then it comes off as stupid, but if you're willing to kind of go tongue in cheek and, and be a little bit self-aware and, and put that intentional twist of comedy in there, you can make some real leaps within the story and keep the audience buy-in. And I think that's important in making a, um, a cohesive story where you, you're not getting like jarred out or, or pulled away and being like, no, why? why and it's you know a goofy piece of dialogue or 
you know, how do you make a zombie cat look real and terrifying? It, it, you're, you're threading a needle, right? Yeah, that part I can see that was them trying to just find the right way to do something. And it's it's actually comes off as comedic on purpose there. But I always had assumed that the performances, which is just the most hilarious part of the thing, right? The, the, the funniest part of this movie is, who is it? Bruce Abbott and Barbara Crampton. And that they just have these like, oh, sweetie, pumpkin, we're working through our relationship problems while this horrific circumstance plays out all around us, right? Like, I, I assumed, like, is this just that they were trying to, you know, this was supposed to be serious and they couldn't do it? Or what you've opened my mind to is, no, that was the fucking point. <laughs> That's, they were making fun of Hammer. And if I had thought of it in the context of that it was a parody of something that existed then, that was this notorious cheap horror crap. Oh, this is, this is, this turns over whole new vistas. Yeah. I think you could throw a lot of Hitchcock in there too, especially with the score, the way that they scored it. Yeah. I love uh, the opening. Absolutely. Um, and again, you know, at the end it's, it's this Lovecraft story. And I don't know how much interaction you've had with Lovecraft. Uh, but here in Columbus, in the LARP circles, we've had uh, some troop games run two or three Call of Cthulhu LARPs as well, one shots. Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, let me tell you what, man, they've crushed it. And uh, one of them that I got a chance to play in was loosely set around reanimator concepts. And having played through the game in that module, which was bonkers and insane and so much fun. I could do a podcast just talking about the shit that went on there. Seeing this on the back end, again, really rewarding. It's interesting, uh, just on the thread you went on there on uh, the Call of Cthulhu LARP, that's hard to do in case you don't do LARP. That's hard to do because everyone has to commit to doing it. You know, you can't have someone in the group who is mocking it on a meta level. Oh, no. You can't have someone who's trying to be quip uh, or or funny. Um, you know, the this you all have to play it straight. And to do that with a group of people you don't know and be able to pull it off and have it be satisfying, that's difficult. Well, it's also difficult is when you, you know, you and I cut our teeth, uh, pun intended, on Vampire. And Vampire is very much a PvP environment. And you can't really win LARP, but you can win Vampire, right? You can, yeah, you can you be can. the cool guy. You you can dunk on other people. Um, you can thrive on the failures of others. And there especially are, in a big board game, yeah. right, where there's a an endless story. Uh, it creates a very conservative play style because you don't want to be the guy who steps forward while everybody else is stepping back and then you get targeted and you get put down. Everybody goes on. So <clears throat> you talk about a one shot Cthulhu LARP where everybody needs to walk into this thing with the full acknowledgement that you are probably going to die. And you are going to go crazy in the process and you cannot win this thing. And if you go in with the intention of winning, 
you're going to ruin it for other people. Everybody needs to commit to fail spectacular. And that's really the, the goal in that is like to yeah. have the best. That's how I died story come out of the game. And, and, and bringing that culture so that people are ready to like jump on the appropriate circumstances is is very important. So it's like a healthy thing for that to be the story you take away from it. And then you also have to be willing to play straight, like seeing something horrific and trying to create a genuine emotional response in the moment. I would love that's, that's tough. We should get Clyde sometime if you want to actually talk about like full on if it's something anybody would ever even care to hear about. But like Clyde ran these games so good and made props and shit where there were like monsters in the basement that were like these better than original series Star Trek garbage bag monsters with the lights down. And if you could like really go full immersion and feel the flow and see this fucking thing move out of the corner of your eye, like legit scary shit. Like, wow. Some of the best. Wow. Yeah. So taking those experiences that I had in that Cthulhu LARP watching reanimator and ignoring the laughs and, and the tits and ass and the other stuff, like this is a tragic story and there's oh, yeah. a lot like every, Nobody comes out happy in this thing. And that that is 100% on brand for Lovecraft. Like the dad, especially uh, Dean, was his name? Uh, uh, Dr. Hazley. Yeah, Dean Hayes Halsey. Halsey, yeah. What a raw deal. This dude just cares about his daughter. And <laughs> he's just trying to... Trying to make sure that, uh, you know, this guy is, you know, up to his standards for her. You know, Not and... even... <laughs> there's there's a lot to discuss in this thing, but just how quickly everybody's having a pretty good time and life is great. And it just goes down the fucking tubes like that. Well, so the, I guess the number one thing in terms of the story of this film that you can point to is if you live in Arkham, Massachusetts, you clearly have no genetic ability to read red flags. They just don't exist <laughs> because the main character of our film is Herbert West, who is played by the reason we're watching this. And that is, and that is the one and only Jeffrey Combs, our favorite actor from enterprise, even though he's only in four episodes. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. Let me ask you something, Joe, and this is going to be for maybe four people out there. Were you able to watch this movie and see Jeff Combs on screen and not immediately think Sean Bailey? <laughs> yes. Yes. I could not. So this is a guy that, you know, speaking of LARP that we've played a lot with. And I mean, Sean, just, if you yeah. ever listen to this, this is meant in all respect. Okay. Proceed. I, that it was such. <laughs> Because all the time I've seen Jeffrey Combs, it's always been with some sort of prosthetics on. Like seeing him young, especially with those glasses on, man, just a dead ringer for our friend. And like the way that he portrayed the lines, Eric Kine all the way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That clipped matter of fact, the tone just varies a little bit. And it's softer, but not any less harsh, you know. So this guy's for all intents and purposes, Victor Frankenstein in a modern retelling of the story. Um he is a psychotic professional, uh, a medical student who had been previously studying in Switzerland, but was forced to relocate to the U.S. under some very questionable 
circumstances. Yeah, well, uh, we get an opening scene that is uh, of his former professor, you know, like seemingly going through some sort of uh, uh, choking fit while dying a hideous, you know, bloody death. By the way, this this movie, I would describe it as moist. <laughs> it is a it is a gooey one. <laughs> well, let's sidetrack here for a moment. Did you watch this on my Plex or did you? No, I just watched it uh, streaming off of like Tubo or whatever. One of did the free, you free online cable services? Do you know if you saw the rated R version or the unrated version? There's a couple. Well, so the, and again, crazy product of the time for 1985. They released this thing without putting it through ratings. So they put out an unrated product because they were afraid that uh, it would get an X rating, which. Certainly by 2023 standard, I think Holy it would have got that. I mean, I mean, we may be able to spend the entire podcast on the worst day of Barbara Crampton's life. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit. A different world for sure. Um, but uh, the MPAA rules were that you could not advertise for unrated movies. So ultimately, they had to release a cut for rating. So they trimmed down stuff and they came out with this version that was ultimately rated R. So the version I watched and the version you watched, there would be things like. Here's a crazy gore part, and in the unrated, we are going to explicitly show what's going on, but in the rated R we'll show reactions uh, or it'll be like. In the unrated in the rated R version, you've got a wide view of the shot uh, and in the rated R there is zoomed right up on the gore. So this I I, I did not watch the R rated version then because I got uh, very I got all lingering everything shots. Everything was there. So Uh, there was only just one scene missing, apparently. Oh, Dr. Gruber. Did you see his eyeballs pop and blow blood? Okay, so that that's part of the unrated. And that's an example of like the excessive gore. Yeah, that's in the opener. Like they start you with that guy's eyeballs popping. The nurse. Uh, bring German police or Swiss police uh, into a room. They bust the window out, come in guns drawn, and there's old Dr. Gruber scraping at his face in horror uh, before, yeah, his eyeballs blow up, and then they accuse, you've killed him! And we get our first introduction to uh, Herbert West. No, I gave him life. The opening is uh, a true throwback to the era when you would have movie openings at the beginning of your movie, something I have not seen a movie do in a very long time. Um, Herbert West will relocate over. This guy has issues, but like I said, he's kind of the, the psychotic professional, always in the suit and tie, always buttoned up all the way. Sometimes he's got his sleeves rolled up. This guy is always ready for business. Um, pursuit of knowledge above all else. And he is a delightful dick who is going to tell several characters how he feels. <laughs> There's no fucks to give it. Like I said, this is where the, the apparently the genetic ability to read red flags in Arkham, Massachusetts, it's gone from all of its residents. Like this guy from Switzerland shows up. What, what happened to his old boss? who's sitting over his eyeballs explode and his face is a bloody mess. And he's raving about how he gave him life. Would you please continue to educate him? And they're like, all right, let's, Let's kick the tires on this guy. Let's see what he's like. And, and this isn't should... a secret either, right? Yeah, none of this is a secret. This is in his file because 
uh, Dean Halsey of the Arkham Medical Miskatonic University. Yeah. Yeah. Miskatonic uh, has knowledge of why this dude's coming over from Switzerland. And as you said, ignores all of those red flags, brings him into the school and louds him as the future of medical genius as he's given him a tour of campus. Uh, and that tour brings them over to a cadaver lab where we will meet uh, two more of our big deal characters, one of which being uh, Bruce Abbott, Dan, like Dan Kane, very vampire. <laughs> and this is going to be, for all intents and purposes, the relatable protagonist, I think. I, I think Dan Kane might actually be the main character of this. I agree. And then the second main is uh, Barbara Crampton's character, Megan, who is uh, Dean Hazley's daughter. So we have already discussed. And uh, we start with Dan trying to resuscitate a woman who's had would probably a heart attack and failing and then and taking the uh, the body down to the morgue. And this is where we also establish the economy of this film in that uh, we have very limited amount of sets and we can and will reuse them economically to make this movie. And it makes sense if this was initially penned as a uh, stage play, right? Yeah. Uh, the scene where Dan Kane is trying to resuscitate the woman on the table in the, you know, the teaching wing, uh, he's doing chest compressions. There is a elder teaching doctor. Hits him with the uh, defibrillators. No go. Kane goes back hands on. And finally, the uh, teaching doctor goes. Uh, we've exhausted all options. You need to stop a I don't know what the line was. A good doctor knows when to give up. Yeah. And I thought this was a great scene um, and kind of indicative in the entire film. It relays a clear message that there is a disconnect between the passions of people entering the medical professional that want to help. And then there is a level of burnout or kind of like time clock punching professionalism with the more experienced where you've got this disconnect and it's not about saving people. It's just about doing the job. It's about getting your best outcome. You know, like when you're young, you want to save lives. And by the time you've been in the medical profession for a while, you've seen enough lives leave. I've seen enough lives. You were unable to save that. Do you still want to do the best you can? You're still trying. You're still in the healing profession. You're probably better at it than when you were, you were young, but you now know where the end is. You've seen You've it enough. Come to, you know, death is part of the job. Yeah. And it is not, uh, the, the trauma of it arriving is not there. I found the discussion between Kane and that teaching doctor, like very charming and simple. The script, the structure of the movie. And you mentioned before, like things that used to pass as media back then, like things are so angsty to a point of getting convoluted or just silly. I think seeing transparent scenes like this, uh, it's it's a welcome feeling. So yeah, I mean, there, there's something comforting about the structure, right? It, it, it's 
I don't want to say it's predictable. This movie is not at all predictable if you have not seen it or don't know the story because it's just in the ether around you, which is often can be with like these iconic pieces of media. I've heard of this movie a million times, right? I've seen scenes from it. I've seen references to it. But as I would not consider it, it, it's predictable in any way. But that said, there was a sort of clear structure, writing structure to it that felt right. I don't know how else to say it. The characters are out to not out to zing each other. Yeah. Um, the act. I don't think anybody is a bad actor in this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll part ways there. I, I, I think Bruce Abbott and Barbara Crampton are very much act B actors of the 80s film industry. Yeah, not but very talented. I don't know, man. There wasn't really a point where I was like, man, this got the Raffi's pulling me out of the scene here, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's one of the. She is the, one of the worst actors. I've but I've seen a lot life. of bad B movies, right? I've seen a yeah. lot of them. And Same. I didn't get that, like, that jolt of like, man, this dude's stinking up a scene in here. So like, I think everybody portrays their roles well. Yeah. If there's not- a di- yeah, there's a different kind of bad you're referring to. And that's like, there's a, the, there's a big gulf in bad movies that are bad because of their, you know, like reanimator is sometimes considered a classic bad movie and it's not bad in any traditional production sense. It's just something about it is irreversibly weird or odd, sinful, (laughs) right. And bad in this unenjoyable senses. Uh, they didn't, they were using onboard mics on crappy cameras and they, they, no one is able to actually deliver on dialogue successfully. And it's like hard to watch from a technical perspective. That's like the unenjoyable side of bad. Everything about this is well produced. Yeah. And that's not out of a big studio either. And that's something yeah. else interesting. You know, right now, everything you see is coming out of one of the big four or five studios. I, I don't even know what fucking uh, production company put this thing out. Empire uh, International Pictures is what they're called. I'm sure they got incorporated into Fox or something down the road. But uh, again, the story with this it went from being the TV show to saying, hey, you need to make this as a movie. Bring it out to Hollywood. You know, with the industry and we can really get some good special effects behind it. That that was the big one. Why they had to do it in Hollywood is that's where all the special effects stuff was there. And it's interesting to think about something this out there getting traction in Hollywood, which is you don't really see that much stuff made in Hollywood because the cost is so high. Everything, you know, Canada, Australia, whatever. The only uh, production company that's doing anything like that is A24. That is it. Like the 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 witch, like the uh, Midsummer, uh, that group. They're the ones that are the only ones that are like doing low mid. Why you got a wild concept? Pitch it, you know. And you know, look at those, and and look at this thing. Again, that inclusion of humor. Like, I feel like a lot of horror that is out now. The driving goal is to give you nightmares for two weeks. Yeah, their horror suspense, like really trying to dig deep to make you shit your pants. You're so scared. And this was a delightful watch. I'm sh- probably would have scared me as a kid, right? Yeah. It's Spe- not, not horrifying to an adult, really. 
No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was nothing I was covering my eyes for. And- oh, no, you know what? I was genuinely uncomfortable on Barbara Crampton's worst day of her life. I take it back. That was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and ironically, I think if I was a kid, uh, that would be like the part I had my eyes open for yeah. the most. Yeah. I think that was that that one. That one got way worse. <laughs> but uh, the silliness, you know, this is I, there's a lot in common here with uh, Evil Dead. Right. Of course. And again, it's it's that comedy beat. So yeah, and like Evil Dead's one where I I felt like I saw that it was supposed to be comedic on purpose. Yeah, and absolutely. this one, this one, it, it kind of felt hidden until you kind of you shook me out into realizing it. Uh, so you got uh, Dan Kane who gets introduced. That's our straight lace med student who's uh you know wants to graduate. He uh, is in love with the dean's daughter. And that's a cool plot point, too. So this guy's dating uh, Megan Halsey, Dean Halsey's daughter. She's a beautiful blonde. Is she a med student or was she a nurse? I, hmm. I, I, you know what? She is a med student because they were studying the same material together. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, this dude's dealing with real world problems. He's got to make rent. And uh, he's not a wash in student debt just yet. But if he doesn't get this roommate. He's going to lose uh, something and it's going to ruin his chance at med school. He wants Megan to move in with him. But uh, daddy doesn't approve of that. And even though Dean Halsey likes Dan Kane, and even though Dean Halsey knows Dan Kane's probably banging his daughter, it is not okay to move in. And that puts uh, Dan in a predicament where he's got to look for an external roommate or he's going to be in some deep trouble. I did like the way they framed him as a working class guy who really wouldn't be able to go to med school without this like apparent student loan that he has back when that would have been very uncommon. Right. But it's like, well, 1980s, you know, this, this was another era of college attendance. People didn't go to college. It was, it was something rich people did. Mm. This idea that middle-class or working-class people would have access to college was unheard of and loans and, and scholarships were extremely sought after because they were the only ways a middle-class family could really afford to go. Yeah, because Dean Halsey seems to have some sort of authority over his student loan. Like that's controlled by the university directly. And later on, he has the authority to just revoke the entire thing. So what an interesting time capsule into the um, perverted... (laughs) educational system I mean, of the, the United States. Well, you know, the there was something to the complaint that unless you had greater access to higher education, you can't expect the level of sophistication and, and uh, economic advancement on the part of your lower and middle classes. Like that was very, that was a real thing to fucking bitch about. <laughs> You're gatekeeping all of the knowledge professions. <laughs> we can't move up in the world because you won't fucking let us in because you're rich and we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, maybe a little too far guys. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know. Well, you know, they reversed it. And now everybody gets access to, uh, higher education and the crippling debt that comes along with it. So you can get your uh, interpretive dance degrees. Economically enslave yourself or other for under underwater basket weaving. So speaking of gatekeeping, there's the bad guy 
the intentional bad guy. Because I, <laughs> I had to think about that one for a second. Herbert, Herbert West is clearly the bad guy. <laughs> a um, gosh, he is an antagonist. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a bad dude. <laughs> he is Machiavellian, and he's crazy. And he is absolutely the driving force behind all of the death and destruction. But he's also the second worst person in this film. But he is not <laughs> causing problems and sowing chaos for the sake of evil. Uh, his goal is the betterment of the human race, right? Yes. He wants to conquer death. He wants to he wants death to be a memory. He wants to add a viable tool to medicine to bring people back to life. And then you got Dr. Carl Hill, speaking of Dracula. <laughs> and this guy's a piece of shit. He looks like uh, former U.S. Senator John Kerry to a T. Oh, yeah. Just dead ass. So uh, Dr. Carl Hill, we're introduced to him in that cadaver lab where he is continuing research on his new hot shit technology, which is a, was it a laser? Laser scalpel, yeah. Laser medicinal scalpel. Mm -hmm. And again, this is 1985, so lasers are high tech. Oh, yeah. You know, you're still cutting people open with bone saws back then. So we, in fact, see that happen uh, during this film, of course. Can't help yourself, but... It is also odd to consider how fast medical technology has advanced in merely 40 years. That this sure. was, these were common surgical instruments not that long ago. So Do, uh, Dean Hazley, Halsey, again, he's bringing around uh, Herbert West, showing him what the campus is like and brings him in where uh, Dan Kane and Dr. Carl Hill are uh, doing their thing. Because Kane's down there dropping off the lady he tried to resuscitate and couldn't. Uh, Dr. Hill's down there, his Dracula ass testing this laser scalpel. And uh, we find out that Dr. Carl Hill is a genius in his own regard, uh, that he has secured many lucrative uh, grants for the university uh, and that he's a big fucking deal. And Herbert West turns out has heard of him. This is uh, one of the uh, times you referenced earlier where uh, apparently Herbert West cannot help but stick his fist all the way up the asshole of every person he meets and immediately tells this man who we are led to understand will be his teacher and therefore has direct control over his fate to become a doctor that uh, his research is plagiarized uh, from his old from Herbert West's old mentor, which if you know anything about academics at all. You know, that is possibly the worst insult you can levy. He says, uh, not only have you plagiarized my former, and this is the guy whose eyes Herbert West exploded with uh, reanimation <laughs> goo, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're a hack fraud, Mr. Kurtzman. I mean, Dr. Carl. <laughs> and in fact, your papers are illegal outside the US because the high level of plagiarism you've done to this other thing. But his main gripe, is uh, Dr. Hill's assertion that uh, the brains, how do you phrase it? 
that the brain dies after six to eight seconds. Six to 12 minutes. Oh, minutes, right. Yeah. Whereas uh, West believes that the viability of the brain survives much longer. And Dan Kane's sitting there watching this new student tell off Dr. Hot Shit Carl Hill. Like, dude, what? And uh, Hill's kind of just like, well, I'll be seeing you around, motherfucker. We'll see how uh... <laughs> we're going to have a real conversation later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, you can already see like the I'm going to do everything I can to make your life hell, kid. You've earned it from the jump. Well, his life and everyone else. So uh, I think they have their little classroom session first where West is snapping pencils. <laughs> just just snapping them every time he says something he doesn't like. They're doing this uh, this cadaver lab. Just staring him down like a psycho. <laughs> well, this guy's talking. Meanwhile, Dr. Hill's over there showing how to make an incision on the back of the skull. And this was the only visual effect that really gave me a hard time, I think. And it was peeling the scalp back over the skull to expose the bone. Um, that was a rough watch. And Joe, back in high school... I did a one month internship for the Cuyahoga County coroner's office. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of gross shit. <laughs> <laughs> saw a lot of gross shit. I saw a lot of horror movies and that I actually took my eyes off the screen for that part. That one was like, nah, I've, I've, uh, I think we're not doing this. We're not bringing that memory back. <laughs> no. So while he's doing that, yeah, Herbert West is just mad dog staring him down, bringing up these pencils and snapping them, uh, knocking Hill off his game uh, to the point Hill raps class early. And uh, West jumps up his ass and is like, you know, you're a liar. You're a fraud. You're filling these poor students heads with nonsense. Uh, You know, the brain's still good way longer than eight to 12 minutes. And then Hill's like, I'm going to fail you, motherfucker. It's <laughs> just right. Yeah, I'm a, you, you just what already day one. Here you are. You're a problem. I'm going to fail already, you. Already talking shit. I mean, what's wrong with you? Jump back over to uh, Dan Kane's poor. All right. Uh, there he is having some sexy time with his girlfriend, Megan Halsey, Barbara Crampton. Uh, the first scene where we meet Kane, where he's doing the chest compressions. The cadet, the I guess it would have been cadaver at that point. The the med patient laying on the table, shirts open, boobs out. I'm like, oh yeah, right, eighties. Okay, <laughs> they're just gonna be hanging out. Go to him uh, having sexy time with his girlfriend. Like she's hiding under the sheet. They're pretty coy about it. Okay, uh, you know, you sure you don't want to move in with me? It'd fix a lot of problems. No, hey, let's get married. Well. That gives her some pause. And then, uh, again, interesting dichotomy, right? There's the scandalous thing going on where Dan Kane is dating the dean's daughter. It's inappropriate, but it's acknowledged. And uh, it it casts a shadow on a lot of stuff later on. That's all, I think, good parts of the script. Because that's going to feed into some problems that Dean Halsey's going to have which uh, Hill compounds. It, it's a neat scandal. Yeah, her hesitance to commit to that seemed more based on, I know what will happen if I make this serious, and I don't want to do that yet. 
then I'm rejecting you. Like they definitely try to like make their relationship, you know, genuine. Yeah. Very genuine. They're very close, but she's just more aware of their social difference than he is. And that seemed to be the reason. I thought it was because her dad was like the steadfast Puritan and that, you know, there was this religious undertone in the house and that despite whatever else was going on, like she could not live with him before marriage and she was not willing to tie the knot with him until he graduates med school. So now we see what Dan Kane's journey needs to be. Finish med school, get the girl and have a wonderful life. Also, like you said, he's broke. Um, and he is pursuing a scholarship, which we'll later see uh, that Dean Halsey and uh, Dr. Hill adjudicate over. And, and that'll be a big deal. But in the interim, he's got to fill that extra room in the apartment. And as she gets up to start putting on her clothes and we get some side boob there with nipple. And I'm like, oh, right. 80s. <laughs> and again, it's still very interesting, too, from like the nudity standpoint, like. They're being so coy about it, especially in what happens in like the later part of the movie. I was going to say, did, did you know about that scene? No fucking idea. That that all oh, okay. hit me. That all hit I, me uh, flat footed. I knew about the existence of that scene because Barbara Crampton is a screen queen, notable actress, and she has spoken about the scene, which you would expect, right? Sure. So I knew it was coming. I'd never seen it. I'm like, okay, I had no idea <laughs> it was going to be quite that bad. Um, it's interesting that you had no concept of what you're getting yourself into. No. Uh, Wes shows up on the doorstep as they're getting dressed. Flashes some money at Kane. Now, Megan Halsey, she knows a red flag yeah. when she sees it. And however She's stupid the all the guys are. <laughs> She's the only one who can see a red flag. Like, this guy's fucking weird. Don't let him live here. And because it's the 80s and she's a girl, everybody basically ignores her. Yep. As she makes common sense observations every fucking step of the way. And uh, it's like, do not let the psycho in the house. And Kane's like, I need that money. And Wes is like, cool. All my shit is outside. I'm going to move in right now tonight. Also, I really like your basement. <laughs> and I just don't want to be. I want to be left alone. Never come down here. Mm-hmm. Never go into my room. I will pay you on the first of the month and otherwise ignore you. Do we have a bargain? You're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. This guy's totally normal. Everyone in the entire town, aside from Barbara Crampton, it's like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? So flip over to the little uh, scholarship meeting, right? Uh, Dr. Hill's over there meeting with Dean Halsey. They've got some business to discuss. We got some wine. They're talking wine talk. And we find out that Dean Halsey's uh, wife had passed away and that his daughter has been living there, cooking the food, keeping the house clean on top of all of her studies. What a gem she is. She comes down to say goodbye. Kane shows up to pick her up. And then Halsey starts hitting her with the fucking creep rays. I'm sorry, not Halsey Kane. uh, Dr. Hill. Yeah. Yeah. John Kerry. So (laughs) (laughs) John Kerry uh, starts. Definitely speaking about her in a lustful fashion, but without crossing the line of like outwardly saying you're hot, you know, starts waxing philosophically about her beauty and sort of trying to put uh, Dan Kane down 
a little bit. Oh, hard. Yeah. And uh, once Kane and uh, Megan take off, uh, Dr. Hill starts laying into Halsey. You know, that Kane's no good because he's hanging out with West, who's a little motherfucker, and he's a poison, and uh, he's tainting Kane, and both of them are exposing your daughter to corruption. And he starts really going hot and heavy on it. And the camera position changes during this conversation they're having at dinner to like hit him uh, from the front, but low. So it's like, yeah, hitting his face with this real soft lens with like dark shadow vibes. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And that's where I think like more of the Lovecraft starts bleeding through because uh, for all intents and purposes, like Dr. Hill has dominate and is able I believe that through the portrayal of this movie that like whatever his medical specialty and whatever understandings he has, like this dude's able to hypnotize people. It is sort of the payoff at the end, right? Like I think you're on to a thread here because the movie doesn't even try to explain why the later zombified Dr. Hill is able to exert mental control over all of the lobotomized zombies or even his own fucking body. Yeah, but he does. <laughs> he just does it. So th- this is the, again, the Lovecraft part is like, why is Dr. Hill this way? Does he have like a bit of a mystical power? And that's very Cthulhu. That's very in the genre of the source material there of, yeah, there's something w- weird about Dr. Hill on a metaphysical level. He just seems to be able to do things for which there's no explanation. Cause he takes Dean Halsey, who is an all round nice guy. And he says, uh, this Dean Dan Kane guy, you're, you're sweet on that. Your daughter loves. He's a piece of shit and he's a threat. And, uh, he needs to go and kind of repeats himself. And it's this very weird scene. And by the end of it, uh, Dean Halsey's like been conditioned or mesmerized by what Halsey said and like crushes his glass of wine. It's like, she's in danger. Like he's, he's converted him over. Yeah. And there's no discussion about why that scene plays out that way. And it really rewards you. If you know the genre that this comes from, like, you know, the author, you know, the source material. Otherwise that probably makes no sense. It'll be interesting, by the way, to hear from any non-Cthulhu fans who watched the movie and maybe had that as a question. Is this were you aware of the mythos of of the the story is set in, and therefore that that didn't seem odd to is did that seem more odd to you than it would have to us? Because everything else in this that goes awry is the result of science. Yeah, it's the laser scalpel lobotomies, it's uh, the reanimation serum. It's chemicals, it's technology, but yeah, what Hill's got going is most definitely like supernatural. Yeah, he takes what uh, Herbert West doesn't fucking taste to 11 <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, Herbert West, meanwhile, you know, we're finally going to get to see behind the curtain what's going on there. The uh, house cat, which has just been lovingly jumping on people trying to have sex all movie. Uh, has turned up missing. Megan's expressing that she does not like Wes, that he needs to go and that Dan needs to be real careful uh, because he's going to ruin his life. They go looking around. Wouldn't you know? Uh, they find what the hell's the names of the cat? 
Oh yeah, I it was something very. Uh, I I wrote it down. Where's this fucking cat's name? Fridge cat. Uh, Spruce. The cat. I feel like real. Well, whatever. I never remember anybody's name. <laughs> Damn, if I remember a fucking cat's yeah, name. Yeah, because the cat hated West, and this is why, of course, I hate uh, Herbert West, and he kills the cat. I love cats, by the way. I'm sure most of our viewers know this. So now. they start poking around. Also, 1985 product placement hasn't really been tapped yet. Do you see like the number of things floating around this movie that I'm sure? There was no paid advertisement. It was just like, oh, not a bit. Just with what they had. We need this guy just moved in. We need boxes. So there's like, I don't know, dial soap or Irish spring or something. There's all sorts of crazy things that I like Pepsi cans, uh, beer cans. I think he's wearing a Nike shirt. And I'm sure none of this is is a licensed product placement at all. But they poke around uh, West's room. They find a little fridge. And wouldn't you know. Mr. Snuggles, he's in the refrigerator. It's where you see uh, Herbert West try to dial down his crazy a little bit to try and explain what happened in a way that I guess approximates human emotion, but is very much being done from a, shall we say, distant position. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is great. He is a great actor and he is playing a stone cold psycho very convincingly. I mean, it's just I. it is he does a great job in doing what he is told here. Absolutely. The line of the movie here, you know, he shows up right as they're going through his shit. He is irate that they have walked into his bedroom. They're standing there holding the fucking dead cat that he murdered. Like, what the fuck? And like he he is mad. I, I've worked with this guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just people. I I described him before in terms of like uh, the EMH, just like not able to make that genuine human connection and understand like how to read a room and understand how uh, the world works. Uh, but they're like, what the fuck? And he's like, well, listen, the cat knocked over the trash and got its head stuck in a jar and I had to go to work and I didn't want to just leave it there. He starts hitting him with some fucking logic lies. Like I didn't want to just leave him there for you to find. So I put him in the refrigerator cause I didn't want him stinking up the house. And what you couldn't you couldn't leave a note like, well, what would the note say, Dan? Cat dead, dead details, details later, later. <laughs> which that can be the title of this episode. <laughs> just just the line hits like a brick. It's awesome. It's just right there, right in mm-hmm. front of you. Like, oh, he's got a point. <laughs> like, Yeah. What would you write in the notes? And by the way, what the fuck is this jar of glowing green mutagenic secret of the ooze? <laughs> I don't suppose this gives me spider powers, does it? Is it mm. one of those or is it one of the bad ones? Get out of my room. And off he goes. Uh, <clears throat> you know, later that night, the West is going to reanimate the cat. Kane will wake up to some terrible noises, goes down in the basement where he falls down the stairs and finds uh, West under attack by a demonic possessed cat. And that's where we find out that when you bring things back from the dead, they're not happy. Yeah, they come back angry. <laughs> they come back like you've interrupted my peaceful sleep and now I will seek my vengeance upon you. I mean, you're eight out of ten chances. That's how a cat's going to wake up anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fact check true. 
So the cat's going crazy. They kill it. And that's where. uh, That's where West successfully recruits Kane into his insane journey. Right. And this is where the scene earlier on with Kane and the uh, teaching doctor becomes important because Kane, I'm sorry, West is like, I'm a lunatic. I killed your cat. I've brought it back to life. We killed it. Its brain is hanging out and its back is broken. I'm going to reanimate it again where it's clearly in pain and not happy. But I have now proven to you that my reanimation serum works. And I'm going to give you this promise that we can help humanity. This is a medical tool and you and I can unlock its full potential. I need your help. Uh, And Kane looks at his dead mutilated cat laying there suffering in agony. And he's like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what that is? That's, uh, that's uh, not succeeding on your sand roll. You know, like, you get those insanity points in Call of Cthulhu when you see something you shouldn't see, right? That's an interesting way to put it, that, you know, the loss of sanity in that game is usually like, I'm closer to death. Uh, you know, this is this is damaging me, but uh, alternatively, it's like, I'm unlocking new character choice possibilities. <laughs> I'm learning things about the world I'm in, right? And that's the balance you have to strike when you're actually playing Call of the Cthulhu is... There's a certain amount of san- insanity you're simply going to have to accept hmm. if you are going to try and succeed within the plots. That's the only way you can get from A to B. And it's about trying to manage how much you're exposing yourself to uh, in order to still deal with the problem and actually potentially survive the encounter. Uh, in this case, this is little Dan Kane taking his first look into the Necronomicon and saying, I like what I see and I'd like to read more. Interesting. Is there an index? Yes. Let's go on. (laughs) I would like to know more. Uh, West's desire to link up with Kane. Interesting, because his initial meeting with Kane, he doesn't even bother to shake this guy's hand and just completely blows him off. Uh, By this point, I think there's an earnest respect that West actually has for Kane. Like, it doesn't ever feel like West is just simply using Kane as a stepping stone. He, uh, he might have at some point detected that Kane is susceptible to him befriending or, or treating him with this respect because he's not receiving it from anyone else. Cause he's like someone who's trying to climb up the ladder and he's not really getting the respect of, of the folks that he is becoming p- the social peer of. He says, you know, you're a hard worker. You've got access to areas that I don't socially speaking. Uh, And I think he again. I don't think West views himself as a monster. He's trying to help humanity at whatever the cost is and and sees that Kane is another person that has this genuine desire to help. So uh, they are strategically aligned. And Kane, who has now been converted, uh, you know, he's he's seen the promise. He's drank the Kool-Aid and goes, you know, I'm going to go talk to Dean Halsey. I think we've really got a great opportunity. Not knowing that Halsey has been uh, dominated by Dr. Carl Hill and is now uh, flagged for PVP. (laughs) So he goes to this man he thought was going to be his prospective father-in-law 
was already pretty close to, you know. Uh, again, uh, Halsey's like, level. hey, you should apply for that scholarship. You're shooing. It's going to do great things for you. And without any other conversation since leaving their their relationship on a good note, except for Dr. Hill's uh, dominate, he says, after giving the story, it's like, okay, well, this thing you've just described to me is so batshit insane I am going to demand you apologize. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make you uh, like knock you down pegs in terms of your professional aspirations. Uh, You're going to write like a letter before I'll reinstate you. And I'm taking away your student loan, which is essentially forcing him to leave medical school because he can't afford to go otherwise. And also West is kicked out of school. Yeah, West uh, is just straight up expelled. Fuck him. Kane, like, whoa, hold, what, what's what's going on here? Uh, Halsey's not having any of it. And again, it's such a stark turn on a dime uh, between his last interaction that it really does reinforce that uh, Dr. Hill has uh, mesmerized him. He leaves dejected. They see uh, he sees his girlfriend out in the hall. Your dad just kicked me out of school. We're fucked. Uh, but man. Oh, I'm sorry. During all this, did I mention that Megan walked in right as they were reanimating the cat? (laughs) Her mutant ability, whereas uh, Dr. Hill can like dominate people and hypnotize them. Megan Halsey, in addition to having the only amounts of common sense out of anyone in this. uh, She's like a long shot, right? She's a probability mutant. (laughs) walks into every scene at the worst possible moment. Yeah. Like reverse luck. She sees what this stuff can do. She sees that it's no good. She sees that West's a nutbag and she sees that her boyfriend is walking down uh a a street right to hell. She says, it, Hey, you gotta get out of here. I can talk my dad out of this, but we need to do big time damage control and you need to stay the fuck away from West. I mean, she does say, like, I know this looks dark, but we can get you out of this, but you need to stop fucking around with the guy that, you know, with the crazy reanimation juice. You just need to let that play out by itself. Like, she's lived in this town long enough. She's Mm -hmm. seen the weird shit. She knows the rhythms of the night in Arkham, Massachusetts. Don't go fucking near that guy. And whatever you do, do not smuggle him into the fucking morgue so he can start a zombie apocalypse with his crazy green Kool-Aid. Guess what Dan Kane does? There is a lovable um, big black security guard <laughs> next to the morgue. You know, he's just like, I'm smoking in the hospital, smoking, listening to the radio, like, eggs on break. Yeah. Like I'm going to go get me a sandwich. I'll be right back. You know, just like total normie. They sneak uh, Herbert in uh, west into the morgue. They find the most freshest cadaver they can, and they prepare for their first human. Tr- well, their first U.S. based human trial of the reanimation serum on a human. And so we begin our zombie apocalypse phase. They pick out like a random guy who just died recently for no reason. And inject him full of the juice. Doesn't work. Doesn't so you work. Do the reasonable thing. 
double the dosage. <laughs> give them more. Give them more of the juice. What's the worst that could happen? While they're in there, they're getting found out by the dean who's trying to bang down the doors. He's very insistent and he's very pissed off. It kind of lends more to like he's almost being compelled to be there because he hasn't like finished ruining this guy's life or career uh, yet. You know, listen, I get it at that point. Like you are the boss and you told everybody, hey, I fired this guy. Don't let him on the floor. And nobody has followed any of your directions at all. And now they're in there fucking around in the morgue. So, yeah, he's banging on the refrigerator door. And once you know it, your triple dosed uh, patient zero wakes up and he ain't happy. He throws beatings on both Dan Kane and Herbert West, but those beatings are nothing compared to the Titanic strength as she beats down the morgue steel door, crushes the Dean with it. And then basically just WWE's his ass around the room until he kills him by pulverizing him. I think it's the first time I've ever seen in a movie where the Terminator thing happens. And that's like the bad monster picking someone up and throwing them about, which is normally like how you keep the the hero alive. Because like if Terminator grabs you, he can just crush your skull in his hand. Right. Or just right. punch you like a jackhammer and kill you. But if he just throws you around, then you can finally get back over to your shotgun and shoot him. Not Dean Halsey. He gets thrown on the wall, picked up, slammed against the wall until he dies. They take him out with a circular saw, carve his heart out. Hey, look at that. We got a new fresh body. We went way too heavy on this first guy. Uh, Wes is like, listen, we, we got a chance to save this guy. Like Kane's like, oh, my God, I'm done with this. This is like, this no, holy is shit. Now, no, like first we made a zombie second to kill, kill my would be father-in-law. This is awful. I, I'm this done with bad. you. But then yeah. Kane's like, listen, dude, it doesn't have to be like this. We can bring him back to life. This is like what the whole point is. Help me get him up on the table. And Kane's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got that juice that makes people alive again. Yeah. Get what that a, fucking a... highlighter you bled out over in the water, that UV light on it. Uh, they bring back Kane with a a very healthy yeah. hey, uh, oh, they with yeah. a with a much better metered uh, dosage. Uh, but as we see again, people that come back from the dead, they're not the same. So the difference. So the the first corpse was just a range monster until West cut its heart out, and it just beat the Dean to death against the wall. And the Dean wakes up and he's mostly incoherent, but not as violent, I guess. And through all of this, West's like, you saw with the first zombie, like, it recognized the words I was speaking. There was some sort of cognition going on there. Kane's like, no, it was like animal instincts. Halsey, it's it's different. <clears throat> he gets up. He's not immediately attacking everybody, but uh, his daughter comes down reacts to her presence. Uh, this is not the Dean Halsey that we know. There's something fundamentally wrong. Here. Yeah. And uh, as the security guy shows up, West and Kane spin a tale that um, Halsey's gone insane and off he goes to the nut house. He, he definitely feels like he's in some sort of weird manic fit. He's like recognizing the world around him in a limited fashion, but that's it. And 
Yeah, somehow uh, the police of Arkham uh, don't throw, throw these two in prison for what they've done. Apparently all they do is talk to them. Very, very, very easygoing police there in the middle of, of It's 85. Arkham. Yeah. Yeah. It's 1985. They got other crimes to deal with. Sure. Serious crimes. And uh, so everyone just goes home after this. Uh, but we've got Dr. Hill talking about Dr. Hazley, uh, who's, you know, like beating himself against the padded doors and him being incredibly sinister and weird. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for old Dean Halsey, he is under the care, the, uh, care of Hill who the story has already shown as, uh, got some naughty feelings for Halsey's daughter. So Halsey being out of the picture means that he'll can do as he pleases. And uh, he goes, Hey, listen, Megan, I need you to give me consent. Cause I want to do exploratory surgery and uh, poke around your dad's brain and see if I can't fix something. And she seems like she's on board for a little bit. Hill uh, starts hitting her with the old dominate eyes. I want you to call me Carl. I want you to feel like you can come to me if you need, you know, anything, especially physical attention. And uh, lays it on a little too thick. She wigs out and is like, fuck you. You don't have permission. I'm going to deal with this myself. He also denies the chance for her to go talk to her dad, which I think better spells out that he's a bad guy. I I do like that this fits with our theory that Megan Halsey is just immune to Arkham's weirdness. She resists the dominate. Yeah. She's like, uh, no. (laughs) I'm, uh, no, no, I'm not letting you touch me. I'm out of here. See ya. See ya. You're definitely trying to F me, and I ain't I ain't up for that. Yeah, sorry, John Kerry, I'm out. Uh, John Kerry don't care about consent, though, as we will find out <laughs> to, to many degrees. He pulls uh, Dean Halsey in for some tests and comes to the conclusion that Halsey's neck is broke, that Halsey's uh, brainwaves are whack and that despite the fact that Halsey's walking around moving and stuff Halsey is definitely dead and puts two and two together and realizes that it's Herbert West is involved in this so off he goes to uh, Dan Kane's house gets down into the basement and confronts West in the lab and says I know what you did and I want you to tell me all of it because just like I took your mentor's work and profited from it. I am now coming over here to um, appropriate your research and your discoveries. And uh, those are now going to be my fame and fortune. And you're going to be my bitch and you're going to be okay with it. It's. <clears throat> Do you think it was just comic over confidence on purpose or was it supposed to be he thought he was able to influence West to just be subservient to him? That's it. It seems like such a tragic miscalculation to go over to this unstable psychopath that can resurrect dead bodies and say, I know what you've done. And now I'm saying that you're my bitch and I'm going to turn my back to you immediately after that. I dig Dr. Hill's hubris and. I absolutely believe that it's just pride and short sightedness on his like he has no reason to believe that West is a murderer and that things will go the way that they do. And I do believe that he tries hitting him with his hypnotism because he lays out like 
you're going to show me your notes, which Wes does after Wes had just told him to fuck off and get out of the house. So he's got some limited success in imposing his will over West. OK, yeah, it turns out you're a genius. Uh, he starts, you know, seeing dollar signs and uh, and is starstruck with the future he's going to have being the savior of humanity and thwarting death. He says, uh, you're going to be my bitch. You're going to be my assistant. You'll get famous, too. But I am definitely taking point on this. Uh, also, we got to kill your little buddy, Kane. He's going to disappear because he's inconvenient to all of this. Also, <clears throat> you know, I want to hump as my 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 co-workers daughter and this guy's currently in the way so that'll work on that and when west like backs off as uh hills like looking the notes over i don't know if you caught but like he's got the tear going down his eye oh no i did not catch that yeah so like he's i think he's crazy and that's part of the reason the dominate doesn't stick he has his own uh, iron will. Uh, and as we will find out later in the movie, and this is a part that gets cut. Or actually, maybe it already happened. No, it already happened. Um, like any good doctor, uh, Herbert West has a, he's got an inconvenient little addiction. <laughs> did, did you see that in your scene? No, no, I don't know what you're referencing. He starts getting jittery as he's having a conversation with Kane. Mm -hmm. uh, and we find out that Herbert West doesn't sleep anymore. And instead, he's got some watered down reanimation juice that he injects himself with so he doesn't have to sleep. Oh, no, that was missing from my version. I don't yeah. know why. That's odd. And it's I odd think that, that specific detail was missing. So I think that explains a lot of West's inhuman decisions that he makes. And I think it might also play into how he's able to shrug off the hypnotisms of Hill. Uh, but as Hill's over there pouring over the notes and reminiscing of uh, his glorious future. <laughs> if you liked the uh, the space pipe over the Nausicaan's head. <laughs> You'll love this. This is the combination of the shoot <laughs> plus plus the biggest hit of the Nausicaan combined. He grabs a shovel and in a true world of darkness fashion gets up behind uh, Dr. Hill and goes, you know what? Uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't come down to my reanimation lab and try and steal my notes, motherfucker. Takes his, takes his head <clears throat> off. Takes You're not the only the bad guy in this movie, you yeah. asshole. Like, nah, I mean, I'm a bad guy, but I'm not about to try and do what you're going to do to Barbara Crampton. I'll have, you know, sir, I have I'm a bad guy, but I have standards. He busts Hill over the head with the shovel. Hill goes down. Wes finishes a job with the shovel and just cuts his head off. Yeah. Picks his head up, puts it on the table in a pan, keeps tipping over. I like he's got like a restaurant um, check pointy thing. Yeah. Jams like it in there. Probably something they got it to rustled up to do the prop with too. craft services, literally. So these guys, you know, you're sitting over here saying, uh, what's the foolish short sightedness of Hill to come over and challenge uh, West in his own laboratory? West is like, you know, I'm going to turn you into a fucking science experiment. Uh, so far, let's see. I've reanimated whole people, but I haven't done parts of people. 
He hits Hill with the uh, reanimation fluid in his brain and then uh, complicates things to a foolish degree as he goes down and takes Hill's body and gives that some reanimation juice in the heart and then forgets about it. He's just fucking with them. (laughs) He's just like, I'm just going to I'm just going to see what happens because fuck you. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm going to use. I'm going to get you conscious so you can see that I'm just fucking with you now. Well, fucking's a two-way street because uh, <laughs> for him, uh, while Herbert West is is a brilliant scientist and necromancer, uh, he did rolled a critical fail on his perception check <laughs> and got got by the body he reanimated. Yeah. So now we've got this new character that enters the playing field, and that is uh, Doctor Hill's body, which is like a man with shoulders and neck stump prosthetics on top and it's just this lumbering body <laughs> they like definitely dr they, satan's robot right <laughs> they definitely decided after they did the one scene with it this way and they're like this sucks we're gonna do a fake head on someone's body <laughs> the next scene we're doing this <laughs> like, we're no <laughs> that was too much effort that looked that looked fucked up so uh, Dr. Hill's body strangles West out, but doesn't kill him, steals all his research, steals all the reanimation fluid and goes back to our previously heavily used morgue set. And this is where we get this delightful scene where Dr. Hill's body, which now has the prosthetic like, uh, you know, that teaching medical head where like you can pull all the parts of the brain and eyeball. It's also like wooden blocks. This thing is <clears throat> on Hill's body wearing uh, a surgical mask and a a hair cap (laughs) slide past the security guard. Who's busy reading his porn of mag like straight up Looney Tunes shit. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. They get in there, start pouring blood in the pan. Uh, Some really cool shots of Dr. Hill's head in this tub as they just fill it up with blood. And uh, he likes drinking it. It's, it it definitely starts you down the road of man. Hill is fucked up. Hill is able to do some shit that like definitely no one can do. He's he's fully with what's going on and he's having difficulty communicating, but not processing what's happening. You no, know, in fact, he starts doing like laser surgeries on uh, the cadavers in there. At first, I thought they were going to like pull his brain out and put it in another body. And that's how he was going to get around. Uh, but we'll find out he's just doing surgery on all of the other morgue uh occupants so again hill as a supernatural creature i think makes sense everybody else who is touched by reanimation serum uh is feral to a certain extent whereas hill definitely keeps his sentience uh plots plans and is able to adeptly transition into his undead state despite the fact his head is not attached so maybe at this point west has been able to refine the dosage where he hits the sweet spot or maybe uh there's just something about hill that gives him that extra edge to keep going i think it's a supernatural element you know it's just he's he is something more and so it's just having a different effect on him at this point he's got uh Dean Halsey lobotomized. This is before he gets his head chopped off. Was it? Yeah, 
He he lobotomized uh, Dr. Halsey before his head was chopped off. It's something mm. he did right before, I believe, he went to go talk to West. Did your copy of the movie have the scene where Headless Hill goes to the observation room and dominates him through the glass? Yes. Mine did not. Interesting. Um, West wakes up in the basement, finds Kane and goes, uh, I kind of fucked up and killed a man, but I didn't kill him. <laughs> but I brought him back to life and then he beat my ass, robbed us. <laughs> and uh, also he wants to kill you. <laughs> Remember how we thought we were having a bad night? Well, it got a lot worse. <laughs> it got a lot worse, but I've got a plan. And they're waiting around for uh, Hill to show up. But then Kane realizes, like, wait, Hill's not going to go after us. He's going to go after uh, Megan. And he runs off to go meet with his girlfriend, finds her in her house, confesses like, hey, so about your dad, he's not like uh, insane. He's dead and we reanimated him. And also we've done a lot more damage. Let me try and catch up on this. And about that time, uh, the well, that's when they're like they're having their heartfelt relationship conversation about like we can endure these hardships together. I wanted to hate you, you know, since you killed my dad and reanimated him and have ruined our fucking lives. (laughs) But I really love you. (laughs) Yes, and that's where I was like, oh man, really? Like that just feels like that was just so poorly done. But now you're correct. It was perfectly done. It was perfectly done. It's about that time that the golem of Dean Hazley like punches in the fucking door straight up thriller style and starts <laughs> rampaging. <laughs> I think Kane might get knocked out or something, or I don't know yeah. how they get separated, but Halsey uh, abducts his daughter, brings her back to the morgue. And so begins a bad time for Barbara Crampton. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to believe. So 1985, this is something that was, this was real. This happened. (laughs) Things that will not happen at big studios. Uh, No. And really this, you didn't see stuff like this other than horror, like cheap horror movies, right? Yeah. Uh, The nudity and the, uh, I'd say this is exploitation, right? Oh, absolutely. So. Halsey gets thrown to the table next to uh, Dr. Hill's severed head as he's laying in this blood like I fucking her. And she gets strapped to the operating gurney. Her clothes are removed. Yeah, they they rip the clothes off. And now it's like, hey, remember how we were like doing playful side boob when she was in the bedroom with her boyfriend? Here's like just full on booby time, followed by the headless body of Dr. Hill just groping her up. Yeah. Just clumsily just grabbing at her titties. And you can see like the telepathic connection between Hill's body and his head. Cause he's like, the hands are going on her boobs and like Hill's head's like, Oh, this is, you know, my dreams come true. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and then, uh, Hill like starts monologuing in his like raggedy zombie ish evil lich way. Uh, they, his body picks, and this is all while like Dean Halsey's corpse is watching. Yes. 
Uh, and then he picks up the head and the head's like licking her cheek like oh i loved you i've always loved you and you're like all right and then he starts sucking on her boobs yep <laughs> and you're like john Kerry, what are you doing <laughs> that's when you're like that i i can't emphasize this enough if you've never seen it it's really this actor licking the boobs of this other actor who's like a third of his age i'm sure yeah and right there like they're shooting they're doing it this is this Barbara Crampton is having her tongue, her, her booby licked by this random middle-aged British character actor. While blood and like gore is dripping everywhere. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I'm, I, did your version have like the body pick the head up and then just like move it between her legs as he's like goes down on her? Yep. Yeah. Boobs and Bush, man. 85. Whore. <laughs> it's just, that's what happens. What you so now. Described as what happens while her dad watches her zombie yeah. dad watches. Uh, so that goes on for a while as yeah. she has her worst day. What, 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 what's her commentary in the stuff you saw? The one I saw was from maybe, gosh, maybe even been more than 10 years ago where it was. Uh, I would be interested in maybe that her opinion has changed, right? Because a lot of perspective on this stuff changed over this period, but it was very like, no, very clinical. Like we had all planned this out from the start. We knew what we were doing. You know, we knew this was going to be completely fucked up. That was entirely the point. You know, that was the attitude she had was I was in on it, you know, which I guess you'd have to. There's yeah. just no way. Not even in 1985. Can you be like, listen, Barbara, are you sure? <laughs> like, this is what we want to do. Her story is interesting too. Like she, her dad was a carny, so she grew up traveling with the circus. Um, and she's got a pretty good pedigree of like daytime TV, but then yeah, a lot, a lot of B horror scream queen stuff. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been in movies, horror movies and stuff. I see the discussions and, you know, they're all pretty upfront with like, this is where the script's going. This is, you know, what we're doing and it's not going to be creepy on set, but we wanted to come off creepy on film again, things you're not seeing in horror movies anymore. No. Uh, while this is going on, Herbert Kane shows up, starts dropping some smack talk, uh, gets Hill to pay attention to him. And Hill's like, uh, Hey, it's real stupid of you to come to my lair now. Um, guess what? I've been preparing for you. Thanks for spending, you know, not making me have to come find you. By the way, here's my zombie army. Yes. And literally all the corpses in the morgue stand up. And now you, they've got to like three on 12 against all of these zombies. It's actually like kind of the weakest part of the movie is this weird fight scene that breaks out. You know, that's, it's, the it's at first it's just an excuse to get a lot of gore effects on screen i think you know mm -hmm. like these guys are snotty they're gross they're, they're burned gooey, up they're burnt up a lot of they're makeup naked. they're naked they're flopping around mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be like kind of fucked up and you get that but it's also very like not coordinated you know uh for as sloppy as it was and logistically a fight this lopsided, like not feasible. I still thought it flowed pretty well. It's dark. It's chaotic. Some sort of chemical gets thrown on the ground. A fire starts. Shit gets real wild. 
at a certain point, Dean Halsey's zombified, lobotomized golem remnant uh, snaps out of it as, you know, his daughter is being slowly murdered and he flips over to the good side. You know, he has his Tron moment. Yeah, he, he's, I'll fight for the users. Yes. <laughs> he, he recognizes his daughter as his daughter long enough to start f- fighting the other zombies. It's probably uh, the only hopeful thing that happens in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Herbert West's big idea wasn't to bring a shotgun. It was to bring more reanimation juice and hit West's body with it. I'm sorry, uh, Hill's body with it, thinking it's going to OD him. Instead, it like turns Hill's body into like tentacle manga. Yeah, like it turns it into a portal to like another plane of existence. And, you know, some literal Cthulhu tentacles are now shooting out of a of this breach. Or maybe this is like the Star Trek Picard connection here at the end of season one, where like, you know, yeah, the the Reapers start coming out with their tentacles and they snatch up West. Um, Again, the fire starts uh, consuming the morgue. I think Hill's head actually gets crushed by. I I think it was Halsey grabs his head and starts crushing it, rips his eyeballs out as he rips his eyes. All of the zombified um, minions that West had or that Hill had under his mind control. They all start grabbing their eyes in this sympathetic agony. Again, so many vampire LARP terms apply perfectly to this movie. It's almost as though there's a heavy influence. (laughs) And then I think the last zombie that ends up being a problem is the one that grabs uh, Barbara Crampton in the elevator. As they're trying to escape. Well, but as oh, they're trying to escape, though, West gets pulled into the void by the tentacle West monster. gets wrapped up by the tentacle monster that used to be Hill's torso and his apparent dying action is to grab his research and throw it to Kane. And again, this is good character insight into West. He's not concerned about his own life. He is concerned about the work. He wants uh, his work, his notes, the serum to persist, even though his life is ending. Throws it to Kane. Uh, Kane and Megan try to get out. Uh, burned one arm guy comes over, starts crushing Megan's throat. And that's when Kane decides to do silly horror movie things. And instead of just like. Get the guy's hand off his girlfriend's throat, he runs all the way up the hill, all the way up the hall. Finds the fireman's axe, which. That would have been a great thing to bring into like your boss fight. (laughs) You're about to go fight a man, you know, as a zombie. Why did you not take the ax? You literally passed on the way. Yeah. His headless (laughs) body strangled your friend and stole all the notes. Like something is real fucky here. You're going to kill this guy. Good. How do you walk by this ax or originally go? Nah, why would I need a fucking axe? It's just a guy who had his head cut off already. Comes back with the axe, cuts the arm off, uh, gets Megan upstairs. The hospital's in chaos. There's smoke everywhere. People see Megan covered in blood, get her up on the operating table. And we've got a um, a, a throwback to the beginning of the movie where Kane is trying to save a woman's life. That same teaching doctor is there. Uh, They start trying the compressions. They start trying the defibrillator. It's no good. 
Megan's throat has been crushed and she's dead. It is, it is a shame that she kind of like died weak, you know, like she just kind of got choked for a while. There wasn't like anything that was very clearly like fatal that happened. It's just, she just kind of was fell unconscious. And then this is the end. It was a little, I don't know if I like that choice. I think I, you know, the, they could have done something there to make it more clear because it didn't seem like a threat. It didn't seem like the climax of the movie. You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing, Joe. After this tentacle monster a few seconds before, I was like expecting something else. Yeah, but listen, uh, nobody wants an ugly zombie girlfriend. And uh, as she lays there dead, Dan Kane, who has at this point now drank all of the Kool-Aid, encounters a... Uh, page in the choose your own adventure book where it says you're <laughs> looking at the body of your dead fiance because uh, she has accepted his uh, marriage proposal. Uh, if you let her go, um, you know, this is the end. Uh, you're going to be sad and I don't know, probably go to jail at some point. Uh, or if you would like to use the reanimation serum, turn to page 85. He turns to page 85. We fade to black with the reanimation fluid uh, staying in focus as he injects her skull. Several seconds later, we hear her death wail as uh, she is rebirthed. And uh, the role of reanimator has now been passed along. So, yeah, had she had her like chest ripped out and, you know, her fucking heart bit by the zombie or some other ugly shit, that's a much less viable reanimation target for Kane. But, you know, I think so. They did a much better job with a very similar death when the zombie killed uh, her dad. And then he, she got beat. He got beat against the wall and he looked dead. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he looked like he got his, like just beaten to death by this man where this was just kind of like a light choking in an elevator. You know, the intensity wasn't there at a level where I was like, Oh, she's fucking dead. Oh, okay. You know, well, I think there's only so much physical violence you can get away with. Uh, you know, sexual assault is fine Fairly and dandy. Fine. Yeah, but uh, physical but you violence, yeah. You're not, especially not for, uh, you know, the innocent female protagonist. That's probably a good point. You, you can't really do a stunt woman there. So it's like you don't want to hurt your lead either. And so. also, too, you know, she still looks like things could be fine. Like, reading past the silly comedy or, or eighties moviness to it. Like it's not like something terrible has happened and she is traumatically and irreversibly dead. Like you look at her laying on the table and in his mind, she's fine. Like it looks like she could just open up her eyes. Why not give her the chance? What could go wrong? Right. The, that sweet seduction, that slippery slope of why this stuff is bad. Uh, so that's where the movie wraps is with uh, Herbert West, presumably dead. Dan Kane, now the reanimator and uh, Megan Halsey coming back to see, you know, what her dad got to go through himself. Shockingly enjoyable to watch. Uh, amazing how much craft there was in a movie that cheap. You know, like oh, yeah. The, Profit. The, yeah, the the production of this movie, while definitely 
budget is never uh, cheap. You know what I mean? They definitely deliver a high quality product, but with limited parts. The horror is certainly there. The sci-fi is certainly there. The mystic supernatural elements, while not explicitly stated, uh, are there if you know what to look for. The comedy, again, becomes this lubrication that moves you through big leaps that the characters are making that defy logic uh, or get us through what would be silly scenes to move the story forward. Again, I think all the actors hit their mark on what they're being asked to do. Uh, I really, really like this thing. Uh, it was a it was a gem to be able to go back and watch. There's two more of these. There's Bride of Reanimator and then Beyond Reanimator. And I think both of those actually have Jeffrey Combs. This was 85. I think Bride was 1990. And then Beyond Reanimator was 2003. Oh, that one might be in the danger zone then. I, I could buy a 1990 sequel Bride of Reanimator. That sounds like that sounds like it probably had enough of the uh, original juice to be worth watching. But 2003, that was when you got into the area to shovelware on DVD. That's yeah. when shit got real cheap and got real bad. I do not have any hope that a 2003 third sequel to Reanimator was anything but garbage especially 18 years after the fact. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to find out because uh, I've located them and I wish that I had uh, not watched this the day before us doing the filming because I think I would have tried to sneak the the two follow-ups in there. You know, <clears throat> all these 80s horror movies, like you hit gold and then you get greedy and you try to go back to the well and get the audience in to spend more money. And I think a lot of times it's hard to get lightning back in the bottle or whatever made that first movie special. You had to destroy in the process to tell the story the way you did. Like you're either going to retread or you're going to try to recreate a ridiculous situation. It's not going to come off. So I'll be curious to see how those go. But a lot of these uh, franchise horror things, Hellraisers, Friday the 13th, they Halloween's work. they kind of fall apart and like this movie is so not made to have a real sequel especially one with Jeffrey Combs in it that just makes no makes no sense right like I I would I don't think Bride of Reanimator will necessarily be great but I would be willing to watch it if this turns out to have been a fun adventure for everyone to go on I enjoyed talking about this with you Peter I did too I think this is a fun departure uh, yeah from Star Trek. I mean, everything we have done, and I guess that's really our theme is it's all sci-fi, Tank Girl, Trek, uh, now this. But uh, re again, real sweet spot to my interests and a fun examination of things that normally we don't get to go in these dark directions. Uh, I would say anybody out there who has not seen it and has uh, obviously spoiled the shit out of it. <laughs> But even having spoiled the shit out of it, I mean, go back and watch this thing. It's a fucking peach. Seeing practical effects. Yeah. Especially as we're in the heyday of like Enterprise. Uh, you know, for anybody listening to this thing down the road, we had just 
reviewed that goddamn piece of shit extinction. Uh, but with the, you know, knowing how much horror and stuff is just CG at this point, seeing these old 80s special effects where it's rubber masks and, and real, you know, goopy blood. It feels good. It feels reassuring. Uh, you can, again, respect the craft, the ingenuity that goes into to, to framing this stuff and just the excellent reuse of the same five sets over and over again. A plus job. Yeah. Good movie on a budget and and a classic B movie. Something you don't really get anymore. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks again to our patrons. We'll see you again later. Mm-hmm.